0: Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hello, Don. And our correspondent, Allison Trowbridge. Hey, Don. (laughs) We were just joking (laughs) that... JJ and I, for the first time ever, are going to have to pretend to play dumb because we have no idea. (laughs) Well, you know what? Truth is, JJ does know what we're about to talk about way more than I do, and so I'm going to be the guy who pretends and says dumb things. But Allison, you're going to lead us on this one. We are interviewing, (laughs) or you are interviewing, Peter Smith, co-founder of Blockchain, and for those of you who don't know, here's what I know about it. It's a big deal.
1: It's a very big deal. That's all I know.
0: It's it's kind of the biggest
1: deal. This is the Bitcoin phenomenon.
0: Are Bitcoin and blockchain synonymous? That's oh not my the same gosh, thing.
1: Don!
2: I'm yeah. telling you, I'm pretending to be oh, dumb yeah. oh, for okay, the sake Don. of our yeah. <laughs> listeners, yeah. man. Yeah, could you explain it for Don? Because I totally understand it. If you could just I explain it for exactly him, I know exactly what <laughs> it is. It's a franchise restaurant like
0: Applebee's, and you exactly. get blockchain. It's More
1: like Chili's, <laughs> more yeah. Like a- <laughs> no, so Bitcoin is a type of digital currency. So when you hear a term, I know that. Okay, oh, I can know okay. that. Okay, but so
0: what is blockchain?
1: Blockchain is the decentralized ledger that Bitcoin runs on. So if you think about a cryptocurrency, the only reason why we can have a digital currency is because there's some sort of tracking mechanism that can never, ever be altered. And so that way, when I give JJ a Bitcoin, that is tracked permanently, forever, across everywhere, cannot in be In multiple
0: places. Or-
1: right. And so then JJ can't then pretend to duplicate that. It's only one thing that exists in, in one place tracked everywhere. I would actually say this is the equivalent of you know, X many number of years ago when ATMs came on the scene. There was this tension of like, wait, why am I taking money out of this box? Can I trust it? Can I give them my card? And now today we just take it for granted that an ATM right, works.
0: That somebody's keeping track of it somewhere.
1: Exactly. And so every time you see these kind of innovations happen, especially in financial markets, there's always this bit of a tension or a pushback. It's just such exciting technology. It's, I love seeing where the world is moving. And Peter's one of the people who's very much sitting at the forefront of all of this, and yeah. has been successful beyond what we can imagine in what he's done. Let's actually
0: talk about that to pique everybody's interest of why we're actually covering blockchain. One is, we believe, and Ali, I think you believe, it's the future of business, it's the future of commerce, it's all going to go this direction, and so this is kind of an introduction for all of us. But also, just as an interesting story, Peter Smith is now worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. What is blockchain worth, do you think? It's not gone public or anything like that. Nobody's bought it. What's it worth?
1: I think it will go public. They've done the largest fundraise in British history. So I don't want to misquote the numbers, but I think they just raised another $50 for it. I'll put it this way. Peter's investors are very, very, very (laughs) happy (laughs) with the the outcome of the company. And the cryptocurrency space is really fascinating right now. We saw at the What was worth a few years ago in the tens and then hundreds of dollars, a single Bitcoin, at the end of December was worth about $18,000 per Bitcoin. So... It's a very volatile market right now because it's a little bit of this kind of gold rush feeling of everybody is coming into the market and getting very excited about it and about the opportunities. But you
0: do see big dips, which means Bitcoin's going on sale. You see that. It's not like it's too late to get in if you want to take those kinds of risks.
1: Right. Exactly. And Peter gets into that a bit in our interview about that volatility and actually that that's quite a normal thing as far as markets are concerned. But Bitcoin is just one currency amongst hundreds. So you have kind of the leading currencies you hear about the most are Bitcoin or Ethereum is another leading one or Litecoin or one called Ripple. And they all are different, but they're not backed by something like gold, which if you think about, you know, the way that the U.S. dollar works, it's no longer a fiat currency backed by a physical asset. So we already are actually very used to digital currencies.
0: Sort of, there is a difference here because you know the US dollar is backed by faith that the United States government can tax its people. So Bitcoin has nobody to tax. So there's a yawning chasm in terms of dependability between the United States currency or Chinese currency and Bitcoin currency. What's interesting about it is that so many people are moving into it with the faith as though... Because you know, we hear this all the time. Well, you know, there's not really gold to back up the US dollar. No, but there's 300 million people that you can take money from <laughs>
3: at any given point. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. And, and throw
0: them in jail if they don't give you the money. That's why there's faith in the United States currency. But with Bitcoin, that's not there. And yet it's still working. And that's why I think people are actually... Excited about it and kind of timid, you know, about it.
1: And it's why it's so exciting right now, just as an institution. I mean, what's fun about if you download Peter's app, the blockchain app, you can actually look up in your city what cafes or restaurants except Bitcoin. And you can, That's pretty if neat. you wanted to walk in and buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin on your phone, it's kind of like using Apple Pay. So, you know, we're at the very, very, very early days of what this will make possible. And I just think it's really fun. And it's fun to move outside of the traditional markets where it's all owned or backed by governments and into this more decentralized model. It's completely fascinating. We get into more of it in the interview. but This
0: guy sounds amazing, and he's going to be able yeah. to explain it.
1: Maybe a little lot, bit better yeah, than we can. Well, Although, I think
0: you've done a fantastic job, but it's so funny that we're sitting here armchair quarterbacking about it when we have got the oh, interview. Oh, completely,
1: completely. <laughs> Although we do have one resident expert on Bitcoin, Mr. Right. KJ Peterson. <laughs> Peterson is our,
0: is our I mean, uh, canary in the coal mine.
2: <laughs> I did actually... So a friend of mine who got in very early recently retired when he turned 40, just off of his Bitcoin investments
1: I believe and
2: it. travels the world. Like now he's created a personal brand and travels the world based on his Bitcoin. And he started pitching it to all of us and just saying, look, you have to get in. And so he would make everybody like on his Facebook page, watch a documentary. And then you had to answer a very specific question from the documentary and if you did, he would give you an eighth of a Bitcoin. What? And so that's how it started. What? And so I that's was like, brilliant. okay, I need to, because he so badly wanted people. He was like, trust me. That's an evangelist. That's a, that's me, evangelist. a, that's a yeah. Bitcoin
1: yeah. evangelist. Oh, 100%. Also a good friend
2: because he was right. <laughs> and also yeah, exactly. a smart business
0: move because you're trying to get everybody else in, which only makes yeah. your standing more solid.
2: Exactly. So I put a little bit in and it's been just a wild ride to watch it go up and down. I mean, I started with about $750. So when I say a little, I was just like, okay, I'm going to start there. And at one point I think I got up to about $1800 on that same 750, then it dropped all the way down to below 400 for me and now it's back up to like 780. So it's yeah. been kind of a wild ride and I've been doing it maybe Nine months, six to nine okay. months. So, in that six to nine months, that's how wild that ride wow. has been. It
0: does seem like, though, it's the tip of the iceberg. It does seem like it's got 1% of the future investors.
2: I mean, some people say it will go up to, you know, 30, 40,000 a Bitcoin. Some people even I saw somebody say100,000, 500,000 to Bitcoin. It's going to be interesting because as borders change and as markets change internationally, going to Bitcoin makes things very easy, and we can yeah. kind of transfer funds around the world. So it is scary, but it's kind of interesting to watch. The other thing that scares me isn't so much like what's going to happen
0: to Bitcoin, is it is what competing currency is going to come out with better technology. Because you know, as soon as that happens, Bitcoin is gone.
2: But that's what Ali was saying, is that when you say Bitcoin, most people identify with Bitcoin as the primary cryptocurrency. They interchange those two words, mm-hmm. Bitcoin right. and cryptocurrency. They're not. Cryptocurrency can be a whole b- So I own Bitcoin, but I also own Litecoin. Right. I know so that's what I. I'm saying. Like yeah.
0: Another one can come up, and as soon as they have some sort of better technology or something we haven't thought of everybody's going to go to that currency and that would devalue Bitcoin.
1: I keep going back to the analogy of the early internet and even in the lead up to the dot-com bubble, I think there will be a kind of a bubble that happens. And then after that, I think, is when things will normalize and we'll see who the real winners and losers are. And it could be that Bitcoin is completely here to stay and is the common currency, or it could be that in 10 years we all use Ethereum or we all use something completely different. You know, I think there's still a lot yet to be seen as far as how it plays out. But it is, you know, traditional market principles where the more people that enter the market and the network effect of people all using this currency creates more value. So it's just super fun to be a part of it and to watch it. And
0: it is. it's really neat.
1: Yeah, it's so fun. I think the
0: neatest aspect of it, which is also partly a scary aspect of it, because I do believe in government. I don't believe we have, you know, everything's great about government, but I believe in the concept of government. How are they going to tax this? I mean, you know, what happens when currencies start moving around? It's taxable. Yeah,
1: they've started taxing it. They passed regulation a, a little over a year ago on taxation, so they're mm-hmm. they're on it. They're not missing an opportunity. They don't tend to, to let dollars no, fly by it.
2: without grabbing yeah. a little bit of money. I had to file forms on my money.
0: I like this, then. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not yeah. a big pro tax guy, <laughs> but I'm just saying it's a great way to devalue Chinese currency and American currency is to have everybody put their money in Bitcoin, and then what do you do? You know, you can't fill potholes.
1: I would just encourage everyone. I mean, even if you've got, you know, 20 bucks to put into it, I think it's a really good practice to, you know, download the app, start investing, start watching the market and just almost just to learn how it works. I actually got my best friend invested into a couple of cryptocurrencies because she just wanted to learn. And so set her up. on. Are you in, Allie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are you in a little bit? Okay. Yeah.
0: I'm going to talk to Betsy
2: about this tonight. Yeah,
1: it's time, Don. Welcome to the brave new world. One one thousandth
2: of a Bitcoin. (laughs) Yes, and since we've been talking, I've lost (laughs) four (laughs) dollars. Probably
0: because we've been talking, you've lost four (laughs) dollars.
2: Actually, you know what's
1: funny? Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple with Steve Jobs, got very invested into Bitcoin. Made. An insane amount of money, and he cashed out at the end of the year when it kind of hit its peak. Not because he needed the money, but because he's like, you know what? I just it was keeping me up at night. Oh. I just I love my <laughs> peace of mind, and I don't want to watch the markets anymore. So, don't put in so much that you can't sleep at night. Yeah,
0: there you yeah. go. All right, Ali, we're going to go straight to your interview with Peter Smith. One thing that's actually very interesting is we can't tell everybody where you were when you interviewed Peter because security is so high around them. Is that right?
1: He does have a lot of security. Yeah, his life's changed a lot in the last couple of years. Yeah, I would
0: imagine. And part of it, you know, there are people whose best interest is to not have him doing what he's doing. And so when we say high security, we mean like Ocean's 11 high security. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks for going into uh, the deep dark web and getting this interview out. (laughs) How can I make this more dramatic than it actually is?
1: Peter's one of my favorite people in the world. It was totally a pleasure. Yeah. And he's so smart. I learned a lot.
0: Obviously. And as are you. Okay. Let's listen to this interview uh, conversation with Allie and Peter Smith.
1: Peter Smith, welcome to the podcast.
4: Thank you. How are you doing this morning?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited to have you on. You've been one of the guests I've been looking forward to the most because you are working on one of the coolest, pretty much the coolest topic in the tech world right now.
4: I would say it's the second coolest topic in the tech world. What's the coolest? The coolest topic in the tech world right now is is probably trying to figure out how to get Facebook back on the straight and narrow. But uh, at least in the startup world, You know, probably digital currency or or self-driving cars are really where most of the uh, heat and action's at.
1: So fun. Okay, so I want to dive right into it. Can you tell our audience what exactly cryptocurrency is? Because I know it's a super basic question for you, but it's a, a term that gets thrown around a lot, and I think it can be misunderstood.
4: Yeah, so really broadly speaking, you hear the terms like cryptocurrencies, digital currencies, tokens, digital assets distributed ledgers sometimes people just call it crypto and it can get quite confusing like what are we actually talking about right and there's a lot of like specific technical definitions within all that but i think the best way to think about it is all of these names sort of get at one idea and that idea is to put value directly on the internet so that you can transact in a digitally native way and probably is worth stepping back and explaining what that means
1: yeah yeah please
4: so Today, when you buy a share of Apple stock or you send money to your friend via Venmo, what you're really doing is just sending a message to some service provider. You know, let's walk you through a transaction like on Venmo or on Chase Pay. Okay, you're so opening, I
1: owe you money for right, a 100 lunch. bucks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. We went to nice a, fan, lunch. a fancy <laughs> lunch, a really fancy lunch. <laughs> okay, and,
4: so I owe you 100 bucks. What right, and do? so you pull out your app and you you know send it to me on you know my app right well what happens in between it's not actually sending money what you're actually doing is sending a message to your bank which checks your you know balance then sends a message to a clearing network which mm-hmm. then sends a message to a recipient network which then sends a message to your bank and then eventually the transaction will actually settle and clear a couple of days later okay and that's in the US where the system works pretty well most of the world the system is even worse when you throw in a cross-border transaction or any kind of transaction that's dealing with something more complicated than just a simple payment, you start to have all these huge gateways involved. Oh gosh,
1: trying to get money to the UK, living over there last year, was a nightmare.
4: Yeah, which is crazy because we live in this world where you can pull out your phone and WhatsApp anybody in the world for free, but if you want to send money to, you know, Japan today, like that's a weekend-long project. Mm. And that doesn't even get into, you know, trading equities or you know bonds or, or any kind of more advanced financial instrument. That's just literal payments, right? So the reason that it's so complicated is because the way the internet was designed, it was designed to make endless copies of information. So money's just information, right? When we send that message to Chase, we're just sending Chase a information message. The challenge is that the way the internet works is it's designed for a file to be split endlessly. And what I mean by that is when you go in your email and you email a PDF to me, when you make that attachment, that attachment doesn't leave your computer, doesn't even leave your inbox. Rather, you're just making a copy that you're sending to me. That's great for a PDF
3: because
4: hmm. we both want to have a copy. Right. But for something that has one-time value like money
1: hmm. or a share
4: of Apple stock.
1: If I still have the hundred bucks, that's a problem.
4: Yeah, it doesn't really work very well, does it? Yeah. And so it means you need some clearer, some custody, some central record of truth about who has the real copy of the PDF. Hmm. If that PDF has, you know, monetary value. What our space does and what sort of distributed ledger technology, blockchain, cryptocurrency and all this is really just about using applied cryptography, which is a system of signatures, to make something have verifiable value.
1: Okay. Cryptography. What, what do you mean by that?
4: So cryptography is just part of math. And it's like some very fancy high-end math, which we're not going to get into on this podcast. <laughs> okay, and, thank you. Our listeners um, are thanking you right now. Yeah. This is a great way to put people to sleep on a Saturday morning. And you know, basically, what it does is it just allows you to know that your copy of the PDF is the valid copy is the the copy that has you know value, it's the only copy it's digitally unique and so really, what we're doing here is just creating digital scarcity now, mm. like let's circle all the way back to why this is important. yeah, the reason that it's important is because it removes the need for intermediaries. So when I send you a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin we don't need Chase or the Federal Reserve or the DTCC or Swift or any of these ACS other companies yeah. Yeah, to tell us that your money is there and that it's valid money. All we have to do is look at the network itself because of the use of applied cryptography to secure the transaction. Hmm. So what's really powerful about that is that there's a huge percentage of the world economy that's just sort of like a round-tier model where people sit on these little tolls, and the biggest you know little toll booth in the world is probably a JP Chase. <laughs>
3: I'm
4: and, sure
1: they'd love being described as a toll booth.
4: Well, they are a toll booth <laughs> in some way. You know, they're just taking a little cut of everything that comes via their yeah. via their little road. Uh, but it's really inefficient because mm-hmm. it means that transactions clear slower. It's hugely exhaustive to create a new digital asset. It really means that a lot of capital ends up locked up and really slows down the velocity of money. So. You know, what's exciting about the whole token, digital currency, digital asset, crypto space is this idea that we're going to be able to send money around the world and not just money, but anything of financial value, anything of verifiable value across the world as quickly as you send a WhatsApp message. And that's what's really powerful about the underlying idea. And it's also not just about how fast it is to send things, but it is about how fast it is to issue assets. So, today, if you want to create an asset that's easily tradable, it's a really exhaustive process. And something that we talk about in tech a lot is how there's fewer and fewer and fewer IPOs every year. What people don't realize is there's actually fewer and fewer equities every year.
3: Mm, So,
4: the peak of equities was probably like 20 years ago, right? And so, there's less and less equities, which is bad for the economy because it means there's less and less velocity around financial assets. And when equities do come to market, they're more and more and more mature, which means there's less upside left for the average investor. Hmm. So Spotify is a great example of this. You know, Spotify went public; it was very difficult for them to go public. Twenty-five billion valuation. There's yeah. not a lot of upside left on that stock.
1: Yeah, I um, look at Facebook's IPO, right?
4: Compared to yeah, or even like you go one generation back and you look at Google. Yeah. Or even further back and you look at Amazon. You know, if you're a investor in Amazon's IPO you've made a huge amount of money but the way that it's been trending because it's gotten harder and harder to issue these assets projects are doing it later and later and later and there's less upside left for the individual investor mm. the stuff that we're doing around digital assets makes it really easy to issue an asset in fact it probably makes it too easy to issue an asset what do you mean well you know now you know like four guys in a room for two weeks can issue their own globally available Globally tradable asset in two weeks.
1: Could you and I just create a currency right now?
4: Um, we could. It'd probably take us, you know, a day or two. we okay. We get, get done. Okay. And we could issue that. We could have an initial public offering for it, or nice. an ICO. Yeah. which is an
1: initial coin offering. Correct. Which is like a yeah. There's a lot for- of
4: yeah. It's kind of like an IPO. There's some differences, but we could issue that. People could pay us because they believe in our project which or our they company. Obviously,
1: would. They
4: obviously would, and that token would be tradable all over the world, you know, within a couple days, which, you know, is kind of amazing. It is. You know, it's like really shocking. Yeah. And one of the ways that this whole system works together in a way that's kind of interesting is when you think about it, you also need those fast sort of global ubiquitous payment rails for this to work. Because, you know, if you could issue assets but no one could buy them, it'd be pretty pointless. Also true. Yeah, and so... You know, it's kind of powerful that sitting in your lunch break, you can invest fifteen dollars into a project half a world away Mm. and the cost that it will cost you to invest in that project is like two cents. Right? Yeah. You can't even invest fifteen bucks into stock market in a practical way, Mm. much less fifteen bucks into an early stage, you know, project half the world away in five minutes. So that idea is really powerful.
1: So, I think everyone in the audience is really excited right now about the Peter Alley token that's going to be issued. So, let's talk a little bit about the actual currencies. Um, Obviously, most people have heard about Bitcoin, but I think it can be maybe people don't have context for what that is or is it a safe investment? The markets have been super volatile. And then you hear about all these other currencies like Ethereum and Litecoin and Ripple. And can you talk to me a little bit about? These currencies and why Bitcoin was the first, and give us a little bit of a history lesson on how those developed.
4: So, Bitcoin was the first digital currency to work, but is by far not the first attempt.
1: Really? Yeah.
4: One of the common sort of misunderstandings about the space is that Bitcoin kind of like arrived as a lightning bolt down from the gods. Hmm. It was like, boom. <laughs> And the reality is people have been trying to do it for about 20 years.
3: Really? Yeah. Really? And,
4: uh, you know, there's like surveys written of all the failures of digital currencies and people called them virtual currencies at one point and all kinds of different terminology. You know, Bitcoin was just the first one to work. And because there had been so much failure, most people that had been in the space for a while wrote it off as like the next failure.
1: Who was the, the founder, um, Sagada, what's his name? Satoshi Nakamoto. Satoshi, Satoshi.
4: Yeah, so it's a, a pseudonym for most sure. Most likely, no one most knows people, who he is. Most people believe that Satoshi is actually a collective of Peter, people. Peter, are you Satoshi? <laughs> definitely not. Okay, that um, would have been a breaking news on the no, podcast. Okay. No, definitely not. But most people believe that they were a collective. Okay. So there wasn't a whole lot of new computer science in the Bitcoin white paper. What it was though, was a lot of great game theory. How do you line up a bunch of incentives to create a trustless network? It was very difficult. And how do you solve the Byzantine generals problem, with, You know, establishing consensus in a distributed way? So that was what was really amazing about the Bitcoin paper. And you know, for the first couple of years, no one really cared about it and really didn't do much.
1: Which I love that it, this currency that's just gone crazy was originally a white paper.
4: Well, it was a white paper, but it was also a code base that was launched at the same time. Yeah. And sometime, I guess it's about 2012, 2013, more people became interested and you started having the first tools for it built, which is where our project started mm. uh, a long time ago now. And it was really when people started building projects on top of it that it started to get some traction. In fact, you can go back and look and see where the price of Bitcoin finally starts climbing and there's finally a market for it right around the time that we launched our first product, Mm. which was a search engine that made it possible to see Bitcoin transactions. Because up until then, it was very hard to like visualize what this network was. Like, did it even exist? Because you would download this strange little computer program and you'd send Bitcoins to each other, but it was all very kind of abstract and hard to understand. So Bitcoin really has a simple premise, which is digital cash, money for the internet. You know, communities are dynamic in digital currencies, as we've learned. As any uh, non-super nerd would have told us at the time, we probably should have asked someone like you, (laughs) communities are always dynamic, right? And so over time, Bitcoin's evolved into being more of a focus on an asset, like a reserve asset, like a digital gold, than it has a digital cash. But it's been a fascinating project for years, and really has come, you know, reached levels that a lot of us who were looking at it really early on never thought it would achieve.
1: So tell me a little bit about your personal journey going into this. How did you come across it so early on and what about this currency and kind of this new way of doing money, what piqued your interest?
4: So I'd spent a lot of my life living overseas and dealing with like perpetual banking finance issues. I'd also spent a lot of my life in parts of the world that had very destabilized monetary regimes. And so, you know, I'd live places where the currency would drop by 10, 20% in a day, where like if you had your money in the, you know, national currency over a 10-year period, you basically lose 90% of your value. Wow! And so at the same time, my background is an economist, and... You know, you would see a similar thing happening in the US. What people don't realize because it happens slowly is over a 10 year period in the US, you lose a huge amount of your net worth to deflation, even in the States. You know, that to me seemed weird that you couldn't opt out of your individual country's economic policy. That's
1: a great point. Never thought about that.
4: And so, what was powerful for me when I, looked at digital assets. And, and when I was in grad school, I even wrote a, a paper about virtual currency all the failures. Really? Um, yeah. So I expected Bitcoin to fail. Because if you've looked at, Wait, tw- really? if you, yeah, if you look at 20, 20-
1: you're a pretty pessimistic person though. So I could see that.
4: No, I'm pragmatic. <laughs> no, I think to be truly pessimistic, there's no way that I could be the CEO of a startup.
1: I agree. No, I'm I, I am just teasing you. Yeah. So yeah.
4: You know, if you look at twenty and they all failed, you expect number twenty-one to fail too. Right. And Bitcoin's not actually number twenty one, but makes for a good rounded antidote. So I thought it was gonna fail. But when it didn't, I thought it was incredibly powerful because Mm. here was a way to fix money for the internet and assets for the internet. Mm. But on top of that, I thought, well, we could create a whole new financial system. And we could create a financial system that people can opt into rather than that people are born into. Hmm. And that's powerful on so many levels for society and for the world that I knew I had to work on the challenge of making that a reality. It sounds crazy too, and it sounded really crazy then. Sounds less crazy now probably. But you know, for most of human history, the world has had hundreds of financial systems. Hundreds you know England had its own financial system the florentine bankers had their own yeah. financial system even the their euro own...
1: being developed in recent yeah. last century half century
4: you know in china there was like the shanghai financial market there were really advanced financial markets even in east africa just like the development of swahili as a language today though we really just have two financial systems we have the us sort of g7 financial system mm. And really you know it doesn 't matter if you 're in America or you 're living in europe you 're really being regulated by the u s regulator and second, we have the Chinese financial system, and those two financial systems are obviously somewhat related. Might even be that we just have one financial system now hmm. so that 's very weird for most of human history we 've had tons of financial systems, and as a trader you know, a merchant trader or as a investor or as an entrepreneur, you could opt into a different financial system. You know, until digital assets came along, you didn't have that choice anymore. You're stuck in one system. And there are a lot of amazing things about the U.S. financial system. It's done a great job of creating sort of unprecedented prosperity around the world. I don't say that lightly. Mm. I think it's been one of the greatest sort of human accomplishments of the last thousand years is the sort of global prosperity that's been brought on by U.S. macro policy. At the Same time, that macro policy has had a lot of downsides. It seems Mm. like it would be quite cool just for the sake of human freedom if we could opt into something else. Mm. And so today, you know, I'm part of both the U.S. financial system and I'm part of this new financial system of digital assets. And so to come all the way back around to your opening question, you know, you asked, what is a cryptocurrency or a digital currency? To me, it's really any asset that was meant from day one to live on the internet that's part of this new financial ecosystem that we're all trying to build. And whether you want to call it a digital asset or a token or a crypto or a cryptocurrency <laughs> is kind of irrelevant to me. And quite frankly, irrelevant. one of the reasons it's irrelevant to me is because we have such a large user base around the world that you know, when I go to Japan and talk to our users there, I talk about virtual currencies.
1: Oh, interesting! When I go to
4: Russia, I talk about something else. When I'm in the States, I talk about cryptocurrency. When I'm in Europe, I talk about digital currency. So people call it different things in different parts of the world, but what it's really about is money and assets for the internet. Wow! And it's about creating a new financial system.
1: So I'm curious if you can explain a little bit of the volatility in the market. Because I think that's, I mean, part of why it's been covered so much in the news this last year is just because of the immense value that Bitcoin suddenly generated. So it went from, I mean, in end of December, early January, it was up to almost $20,000 per Bitcoin, which I'm... I'm not even going to talk about how bummed I am that I <laughs> didn't invest as I had planned to about a year ago, but that's okay. That's a separate, that's it's, it's, Ali's it's regrets. Uh, it's particularly embarrassing
4: for everyone that knows me well that didn't buy Bitcoin earlier. Okay, uh, but
1: I was in grad school and I was like, I'm not going to be, <laughs> look, I had my reasons, you know, I'll process that later. You know, I, I tell
4: people the the best time to buy your digital currency was when you first thought about it. <laughs> And the second best time is is probably about now. Uh, so so the crypto markets are notoriously volatile. For example, the press loves talking about the volatility. And I think the reason is that it's kind of an easy story to write. It's like, this went up, this went down. How crazy is that?
1: Yeah. Woo. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: They do really well on a traffic basis. So, like, you know, we are in touch with the people that write these stories. And like all of CNBC's top traffic stories are all crypto.
1: Really? Oh, yeah, from last year. No kidding.
4: Yeah, so a lot of these stories get written because they're great for traffic, it sells ads.
1: Well, and it kind of has, I don't know, this aura of being a gold rush, right?
4: Yeah, and you know, in a way that like Uber probably doesn't have because there's no Uber share price that goes up and down by the minute. Right, so, right. you know, I think that's part of it. I think people also have to realize that there's probably stories written every single day about what the stock market does. They're just less interesting because they've been being written for 30 years. Mm. So as soon as we get bored of digital currency as consumers, there'll be less stories. But the market will still be volatile. So the reason it's volatile is that it's very early stage. Uh, All these projects are very early stage and and pretty thinly traded. So if you want to do a $100 million trade on a major crypto exchange right now, it's just going to blow the whole order book. Right. Really? For sure.
1: Really? So, okay. I'll wait to
4: do that. Just, wait, wait for I know you're still planning on making your Bitcoin purchase, but just, you know, <laughs> do it slowly. Don't, <laughs> don't wreck the market for us.
1: I did buy a little.
4: So, you know, that's one issue, right? Yeah. The other thing, and this is, you know, where we kind of stray into the philosophical or academic, is every financial system has a lot of volatility. And what's more important than the volatility is speculation. So people often think about the U.S. system as like this safe financial system. The U.S. system is predominantly speculative.
1: Why? Why?
4: If you look at like the ratio of leverage to real assets, it's crazy. If you look at the ratio of like daily trade versus actual assets, also crazy. Hmm. If you look at the derivatives market, insane. (laughs) The number, the derivatives like value of outstanding derivatives contracts far outpace anything else in finance. Huh. And so for a financial system to work, there has to be this healthy degree of you know, speculation or volatility. Digital currency is just like any other financial system. There's a lot of speculation and a lot of volatility. Now, what makes it different is that it's easier to understand it. So if I go out on the street today and I'm like, hey, guy in front of me at the coffee line... <laughs> did you know that there's X trillions of dollars of derivatives outstanding over the U.S. dollar? He's going to be like, nope.
3: <laughs> and I'm we'll be like,
4: did you know they swing by X, Y, Z multiple on a daily basis? And he's going to be like, interesting. But if I go up to him I'm like, hey, have you ever heard of digital currency? He's like, yes. Yeah. So I'm like, how volatile do you think it is? He's like, well, it goes up and down like crazy. It's insane. Yeah. And it's because it's a little easier to understand Yeah. than like a, you know, three-way put on the price of oil balanced against, you know, a basket of currencies or something. That's fair. So it doesn't worry me that much, actually. The now, volatility what, no. doesn't? No. Okay. What, what does worry me is the way that we communicate with consumers as an industry. So we, blockchain.com,
1: Which is Peter's company, which, which is we'll a firm that get I run, into, yeah.
4: We're very careful about what assets we add to our consumer product. We want to make sure that they're stable from a technical perspective that they're solid, that they have really vibrant communities and that they're going to be around a long time. There's a lot of companies who are a lot less thoughtful about what they add to their platforms. And I think that over time, that will result in a lot of consumer losses and we'll have consumer protection issues. Mm. But at the same time, I often struggle with balancing that view with this view that the genesis of our company was really being the first people that helped average humans hold on to bitcoins, mm. and back then Bitcoin was, of course, very speculative and early stage, and, and
1: almost impossible to buy, and
4: almost impossible to get your hands on. Yeah, and you know those first twenty thousand customers, thirty thousand customers, you know, have done really financially well. Would be a would be <laughs> That's an underst- understatement be, of the would be an understatement, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah, you know, there's probably we've probably helped more people become millionaires than any other company.
1: That's incredible. uh,
4: At least in modern history. Wow. So, you know, you got to balance like giving your customers upside via the value that they can be created versus, you know, helping them avoid scams and shady stuff and all kinds of stuff.
1: So for someone listening to this podcast who's, you know, look, if you invested in Bitcoin three years ago, you're doing pretty well. But for someone... Just kind of coming into this, do you feel like we're still early stage or has it peaked or is so, it?
4: So, yeah, it really depends how you look at it and what you think the total market size is. I haven't run this lately, so who knows if it's still true, but for most of the whole time I've been in digital currency, if you bought digital currency and just held on to it for one year, you wouldn't lose money. Even if you bought it like a market peak, if you just right, hold to it for right. a year, you'll be fine. The mistake people make is they get in when it's really hot, they buy high, and then it slides and they panic and they sell.
1: Which is the opposite of the conventional wisdom of investing.
4: Correct. So we really, you know, whatever you put into digital currency, this comes back to that volatility question, you've got to be prepared to hold the position a long time. Yeah. If you're making an investment into digital currency, you have to be investing an amount of money that you're comfortable holding there for, you know, two, three, four years. So that comes back to like total market size and you know is it pointless to invest in digital currencies now? And I think that you know we've done a pretty good job of creating this like little niche alternative financial system. Around the world though, there's relatively few digital currency users. My guess is, you know, we're in the t- low tens of millions. Mm. And on top of that, you know, the market caps like somewhere between 200 and 300 bill right now, yeah. which means we're at 0.3% of the size of the normal financial system.
1: Wow.
4: So I think there's still a long way to go. Yeah. And you can metric that against like people will compare the market cap of gold to the market cap of Bitcoin or like all these kind of cross comparisons. I think that a lot of that misses the point because history is it's very unusual for there to be an exact replication of anything. I think the better way to think about it is, you know, the modern financial system, the US led one is worth X amount of money. And this new one that we're building, not only could be worth that much, but it could be worth so much more because the modern financial system we have today has only made maybe somewhere between eight and 12% of the world's assets digital. And we're working on making 100% of the world's assets digital, right? And so if you think about it in that perspective, like in a huge blue sky opportunity way, Mm -hmm. then we're really just getting started.
1: What would you say to someone who questions it because it's not like a fiat-backed currency?
4: Oh, you mean it's not government-backed?
1: Yeah. Or even breaking it down further, there's we kind of have this sense that like a currency is backed by gold or backed by a real asset. Which well,
4: the, like the U.S. currency the is backed anymore. by the U.S. military and their ability to collect taxes. Like that's and really what people will pay for a dollar. That's ultimately what it comes down to. I think that people were used to the government providing a lot of services that they no longer provide. So a great example is one of the core functions of government in America, certainly more so than financial regulation or even having a military, the first real consistent full-time service provided by the U.S. government was postal service, Hmm. was a network for efficiently communicating. And for most of America's history, we have relied on the government-run communication networks, whether it was the post or the phone or, you know, the radio networks. In the last 10 years, we no longer rely on the government for any communication networks in the sense that, you know, you've probably been a while since you've sent a letter for anything other than novelty purposes. Like today, when you want to communicate, you pull out your privately manufactured phone, and send a message on a privately developed, privately owned, privately run, you know, network, probably, you know, via WhatsApp. Yeah. So the idea that like we'll switch from relying on government, you know, service provision to service provision from decentralized communities or companies is, it's not as crazy to me as
0: some people think it is. It's a
1: great analogy.
0: I'll be back with the rest of Allison's interview with Peter Smith in just a moment. If you are looking to come to a StoryBrand marketing workshop, we have one coming up in Seattle, Washington. It's at the end of July and we would love for you to be there. We only have 60 seats for the live workshop. And so you're going to want to register now, go to storybrand.com and register. When you come to the StoryBrand Marketing Workshop, we will help you clarify your message, taking you through the seven-part framework. If you've read the book or heard about it, but you just need to get away and get it all done in a weekend because you know that's gonna get you a big return on your investment, we're gonna do that. And then Tuesday, The second day, at about noon, we're going to turn a corner and we're going to actually create the StoryBrand Marketing Roadmap. That is, we're going to wireframe your website, we're going to come up with a lead generating PDF, help you capture email addresses, we're going to help you write some emails that actually get a return on your investment. The difference with this workshop is it's not all philosophy, it's not all idealism. We actually make practical tools that get you a return on your investment and we really want for you to get your entire investment, that is the price of the workshop, your flight, your hotel back because of the collateral that you create at the workshop. That's what makes this workshop so very, very different. If you need to clarify your message, you'll want to register today. Again, go to storybrand.com, find the Seattle workshop and register today. We'll see you in Seattle, Washington
1: soon. Talk to me about how blockchain has enabled the cryptocurrency markets to happen? Because I feel like that's an important connective piece, though, is how the distributed ledger works for tracking this.
4: Yeah, so that's really simple. This is the one sort of applied use of it, which is this idea of creating new digital assets, of creating digital scarcity and trust in low trust environments. So in the time span that like, all of the professional services people of the world were writing their lengthy papers and Talking at conferences and all that sort of thing. The technology people went out and built a, a whole alternative financial system. And, you know, it's been one of my great joys in life to be a big part of that.
1: How do you limit the amount of currency that's created? Can you talk a little bit about how, let's look at Bitcoin? Bitcoin mm-hmm. is capped and then it's mined. Can you explain? I think the mining is a whole kind of funny concept in and of itself. But can you explain how that works and how the currency is limited and how that scarcity takes place?
4: Yeah, it's just from the beginning of the system, a rule set, right? So they could have come up with any kind of rule. 22 million bitcoins, 40 million bitcoins, two bitcoins. How many are there? Uh, there's 21 million. That's what I so yeah. You just got to decide on the rules at the outset. And one of the things that people don't understand is that the rules can change. So, you know, in Bitcoin... The 21 million limit is pretty sacred, right? But that community has changed a lot in the six, seven years that I've been very active in it. And it's not inconceivable for me that there would someday be more than 21 million Bitcoins. Oh, really? Now, I'm not an advocate for it. I would find Bitcoin less interesting if that happened. But I think that one of the things that we know about communities is that communities change and their priorities change over time. You know, it's really just social and community consensus that holds these things together. Now, what we've learned is that once you put a system into production, it's very hard to change that system. It would be nearly impossible to change a sacred fundamental part of the Bitcoin rules. But is it possible for sure?
1: They can also be divided yeah. to an unlimited number. Correct? More or less, yeah. Okay. So we're
4: not going to run out of them. Can you explain can you explain the lot.
1: mining aspect? Because I think that's something that most people yeah, mining, don't understand.
4: The early cryptocurrency people, myself included, were really bad at naming and branding and, and <laughs> stories. Uh, and so we called things all kinds of weird stuff. Even if you look at all the early company names, we all named for some technical part of Bitcoin. So okay. We all just took words out of the Bitcoin white paper and like named uh, our companies. It could have that. helped you with branding. So like you know, blockchain is literally a term lifted from the Bitcoin white paper, right? Fun piece of trivia: Coinbase is also a name lifted from the Bitcoin white paper. Oh really? Yeah, a Coinbase is actually a technical term. Huh. It has to do with the uh, outputs of the initial mind block, so. We're all terrible at branding, uh, and this is a certified fact.
1: But I like yeah. the name mining because I picture these like little hackers with their like pickaxes and kind of yeah, like, and it's like like the, Snow White, where the dwarves are like picking away at the walls and getting gems.
4: It's like the total opposite of what actually is going on. <laughs> okay, so, so what's actually going so what's, on? So what is actually should be called is transaction processing.
1: Which sounds a lot more boring. I
4: know, right? And it's just a bunch of very specialized computers trying to solve a math problem over and over and over and over and over. And that generates something called proof of work, which makes it very hard to rewind a blockchain. Nearly impossible to rewind it. It's really hard to rewind the Bitcoin blockchain because of the proof of work.
1: What do you mean by rewind?
4: This is about finality. So what creates that scarcity, what creates that... You know, when I send you Bitcoins, how do you know that they're yours now and I'm not going to just take them back?
1: Can you send them to me and we can try it? No.
4: Okay. <laughs> um, and so when you send them over and they get included, in, that transaction is included in a new block, you know that transaction's done. And what's securing that is the proof of work generated by the mining. Okay. It's what helps the network stay in consensus.
1: And do those miners, they get...
4: They get rewarded for that. Right. Um, and that reward has gone down over time.
1: They make their money by getting a Bitcoin issue to them. Correct. Okay, so let's talk about blockchain. You founded this company about seven years ago, six years ago?
4: so the company started as a project, just an open source software project about seven years ago now. And then about two and a half years after that, it became a company. And so really we've been working on it full time now for about four years, which has been really fun. And we got our start... And something really simple, which was, you know, when you sent a Bitcoin transaction, other than logging into a computer, downloading the whole blockchain and searching for it, you couldn't see that it happened. Mm. And so I thought, hmm, just put this all in a database and make it a search engine. And then it'll update in real time.
1: Which is so cool if you go to Peter's site to actually go to blockchain.info. You can watch in real time all of these transactions happening.
4: Just streaming. And, you know, that was actually the unintended effect was it made Bitcoin seem real. Because you could watch it. You could Mm -hmm. see the network. You could see the transactions happening. Created the sense of community that you're like, oh, wow. Like, shit is happening. And actually, that's right around the time the price of Bitcoin started to go up. And there started to be a real market. And the next thing that we did was a wallet because unless you were like a super computer nerd genius, it was very hard to hold on to your Bitcoins unless you used one of these very shady sites where you sent them your Bitcoins and then they usually stole them. Oh gosh! And so the product insight, like every company starts with a great product insight. And the product insight was that people wanted the convenience of an e-wallet like PayPal, right? but they wanted the security of holding their own key mm. because the whole point of cryptocurrency is that you get to hold your own money. You yeah. get to be your own bank. And so we built blockchain wallet, which is our flagship product today. And the slogan of that is to be your own bank.
3: Oh, I so love that. So blockchain
4: wallet, be your own bank. And what we do there is we help users use digital currency all over the world, but the difference is that they control their funds. Mm. So, you know, if you, hold me upside down and shake me really hard. I can't give you our users funds because they hold them themselves. Mm. And you know that product has gone on to serve about 24 million people around the world. Wow, um, that's how many people use yeah. your
1: blockchain wallet.
4: Which means we have more you know today we have more customers than TD Ameritrade, and eTrade put together. Wow. Yeah.
1: And for those listening, you can actually just go into the app store and download blockchain. Yep. And then you'll have a wallet where you can buy digital currency. For
4: sure. And we do a little more volume today out of our consumer product than PayPal. Wow. So very humble beginnings. I yeah. remember when we used to have this sound that would play when anyone would do a transaction. Really? Could, what was the sound? Be, what was the sound? It was just like this little beep, like beep, beep <laughs> And we get so excited. And now, you know, we joke like we'd, we would just listen to beeps. Uh, so, <laughs> so really humble product, but, you know, a lot of community support, a lot of luck, and just this mission every day to wake up and figure out how to be the best first digital currency wallet. And... Just get a little better, a little better every day.
1: And it's pretty cool because you can look on the app and see a map of even like local yeah coffee shops or restaurants that accept Bitcoin. Yeah, that was which like is a, pretty fun.
4: It was like an internal hackathon project. Was it like, really? Yeah, we're like, wouldn't it be cool if you could see where other Bitcoin people were? Because Bitcoin people love meeting each other, and <laughs> you could go to a cafe and like yeah. you know, talk about Bitcoin. Because if there's one thing people like doing, you know, digital currency people. You know, the joke is like there's only one thing we like more than digital currency. It's talking about digital currency. It's <laughs>
1: probably true.
4: And so nowadays, you know, we have a lot of other products as well. We have a development platform. So we have a, that was our third product, which is API. And almost every, you know, major company that has used crypto has either used or is still using our API. So, mm. you know, all the big companies that you've heard about are, you know, originally built on our platform. We also today really help a lot of institutions and family offices on the institutional side with markets, pretty large presence there. And then, you know, a lot of internal trading products that we don't talk about very much.
1: What's it been like for you building a company that's kind of grown to this size and magnitude and significance on the global stage? I mean, I think you were the largest, your company's based in London, you were the largest fundraise in British history, is that right?
4: Yeah, so we were like the largest first outside round in European history.
1: David Cameron came to your office opening. You've got yeah. some pretty famous investors. Yeah um, that like kite surfing.
4: Yeah, Richard Branson. Our board is, you know, our lead independent is a guy named Anthony Jenkins. He was the group CEO of Barclays, which is a top five, you know, global bank. We're the only fintech startup in the world to have a ex, you know, top five bank CEO on our board. We've raised a lot of capital from great investors. None of that really matters as much in the end as the chance to serve millions of customers mm. because there's a joy in that that is not really the same as raising money or adding great board members or, you know, getting lots of press or becoming cool. All of that is irrelevant without those customers. It's
1: doing the real work.
4: And so you know, keeping your head down, figuring out how to do real work, real meaningful work has been the real joy in building the company. I think it's also kind of funny, you know, if you had told me even three years ago that I'd be running like a, basically a large financial services group, I would have thought that was hilarious. <laughs> it um, kind of still is hilarious. And It is hilarious. <laughs> uh, but yeah, not a lot of changes. I think the, the coolest thing that's happened in the last year and a half or so is I don't really have to wear real pants anymore. Really? No. I can just wear like...
1: What kind of pants do you wear?
4: I wear Lululemon pants (laughs) about four days a week. (laughs) And they look like they could be real pants.
1: I'm going to tell you all right now, Peter is in fact wearing a hoodie.
4: Yes. I'm trying this year to replace all my long sleeve shirts with long sleeve shirts that have hoods. (laughs) Um, They're not like hoodies. They're more just like shirts with hoods.
1: I'm not going to say you're fitting a stereotype, but...
4: And then, you know, if anyone's listening... And you have suggestions of pants that look like real pants.
1: Oh, but are kind of more like sweatpants. But
4: are more like comfort driven. Just, you know, tweet at me. (laughs) One one more Peter on Twitter. Or send me an email. It's just peter at blockchain.com.
1: And send Peter your pant suggestions.
4: Pant suggestions and book suggestions is what I really appreciate Yeah, book
1: suggestions are great. What have you been reading lately?
4: I just finished a really good book. Two recommendations, actually. One is called The Sixth Extinction. And it's one of the Say scary, it again, the, the Sixth Extinction.
1: The Sixth Extinction. Yeah, yeah. Say that five times fast.
4: I know. I felt like they should have titled the book Extinction Number Six.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but it.
4: anyway, right. The Sixth Extinction is, is scary, but a really worthwhile read. And then the other book that I read recently that I really, really enjoyed is the biography of um, Leonardo da Vinci.
1: Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. What'd you like about it?
4: Well, I think Isaacson's a great writer. You know him as well, right? Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) What a fascinating guy. And he's a great writer. And then Leonardo lived like such an interesting life and so against the grain. And I think it's a great reminder that big ideas, when they come up, are big ideas for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's because no one thinks you're right. And, you know, it's really easy in retrospect. Like, for example, people are like, well, of course the earth is round. Or like, of course, digital currency is an interesting idea.
3: Hmm.
4: But it's never very obvious at the time of discovery. And I think reading and learning about people who had a lot of conviction in their ideas Hmm. is really helpful because in modern life today, We don't really have a lot of that. And partly it's because we have such a short feedback loop. What do you mean? Well, we have all of the world's information available to us 24-7, nearly. And we're constantly getting stimuli. So like you and I's phones have probably gotten like 20 messages since we started talking. And there's the Instagram and the Twitter and the Facebook. And, you know, the news cycle is now a. 30-minute cycle instead of a two-day cycle. And all of this just results in a lot of noise, not a lot of signal. And I think it's made it harder to have convictions. Like I've interviewed, oh, well over a 1,000 people in the last couple of years.
1: Job um, interviews?
4: Yeah. And one of the things I love asking people is, what are your convictions? Hmm. Very few people can answer that question. Hmm. And it seems like it's something fairly fundamental to it, like who we are as human beings. And what's really fun is to ask them for a conviction that isn't widely held. Hmm. A lot of times people will be like, oh, my convictions or my beliefs, my core beliefs is like one family comes first. And you're like, okay, sure. I mean, that's a good conviction, but like,
1: yeah. It's a cliched one. Peter Thiel likes to ask people, what is one thing that you believe that nobody else believes?
4: Which is also a bad question. and like, I've been asked this question <laughs> by, by, by him, and it's just like, it betrays a huge level of hubris and arrogance to think that there's anything that you actually have in your mind or believe that no one else does. There's a lot of people on planet Earth. I can imagine planet, you telling him that. There's a lot of people on planet Earth. Um, <laughs> so you got to be a pretty special human to have some <laughs> thoughts that nobody else has ever had. Um, oh, I love you, Peter. So, the difference is not having the thoughts. The difference is following through on them. Mm, right. Well said. So, well said. you know, there's lots of people that had genius ideas for a digital currency business years ago. They weren't willing to leave their Google job and start it. Mm. There's lots of people that left their Google job and started it. And then, after a year of people telling them that they were stupid, that this is a fad, that this is never going anywhere, that the whole market's moved on to distributed ledgers quit or moved on to distributed ledgers and no one is interested in their business anymore right so the strength of conviction to stand there and be like no we're not pivoting Hmm. no we're not stopping Hmm. we're gonna keep going we're gonna keep grinding we're gonna find users in weird markets we're gonna have community meetings in indonesia and community meetings in the philippines and community meetings in hong kong and we're gonna go meet with our users in." iceland and sweden and lithuania like that takes conviction yeah right and it's not hard to have ideas or beliefs it's hard to act on them Hmm. right and so the question i like to ask people when they tell me what their convictions are or their core beliefs are is what does that look like in practice
3: Hmm.
4: right because it's easy like ideas are easy everybody has them it's very hard to do things.
1: And so what are your convictions?
4: Yeah, so I think I've learned that a lot of people listen to podcasts, and so some of them are very personal, and so, you know, I think what I'd rather do is I'll just share one conviction. i love that. And one of my big convictions that's really core to me is learning, mm. the importance of learning to me, and really the importance of reading. And so... I've learned that I can track my happiness pretty directly to how much I'm reading.
1: Really, and Love so
4: that. you know, for me, that means that I try to be very disciplined about about reading, and so I read, you know, somewhere between, you know, 55 and 70 ish books a year, which is all a big time commitment. Yeah, um, even if you read fast, and you know, an ideal day for me either, you know, has 30 minutes of reading when I first wake up. I love to read biographies of people and companies and cultures, but like stories of history when I wake up in the morning. It gives you a great sense of perspective. Mm. And then I just I love to always be reading something, always learning. So one of the habits that I've recently started doing is actually having books on my phone. Mm. And the reason is, for better or worse, your phone's always with you. And, you know, your book might not always be with you. and Your Kindle might not always be with you. And what we do when we're killing time in that Uber or the elevator or in the line to get on the airplane or wherever, is we open up our phones and we, we go consume, like, junk. We go on Instagram, we go on Twitter. And I found that if I had a book on my phone, I would go read the book. I love that. Right. And so, of course, I'd always rather be reading a real book in a, paper, physical one. a physical one. Yeah, me one. too. But that's not always not always going to have one in my back pocket. And so that was like a very simple Especially life change when when I could you make.
1: you have the Lululemon pants on. They don't have big pockets.
4: I would love a, a pocket for books in my Lululemon pants. That'd be great. <laughs> the, you know, the other conviction that I have that I'll talk about briefly is the importance of time hmm. and the value of it. And this is something you learn when you like, you know, have a lot of demands on your time, or you are faced with the reality that you might not have a lot of time left or whatever. But you can always make more money. You can always get another house. You can always get another job. You can always get another friend. You can't get more time. Like everyone has a finite amount of time and you don't know how much time that is. And so the question that I think people need to ask themselves more is, how am I spending my time and like, what is valuable about it and what isn't? Mm. And I think one of the things that I learned to do that was really valuable is look back on every week and think about what did I do that was a great use of time? Mm. And then in the next week, try to do more of that, right? Because it's really easy to end up spending a lot of time on stuff that isn't very valuable. And so I think it's really key because otherwise you can end up sort of just like living life in a way that you're not really proud of. Yeah. And I think particularly for a lot of us that live very optional lives where, you know, we're not engaged in a daily struggle for survival. The saddest thing of all is to live your life in a way that you're not proud of. Mm. And that's really just about how you spend your time.
1: Beautifully said. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do, Peter.
4: Yeah, thanks for having
1: me on. It's I appreciate a joy it. joy to have you on the show.
0: Allie, that was fascinating.
1: Right? Are you converted? Are you a believer?
0: I'm a believer in him. How do <laughs> yeah. you invest in him? How do I put Bitcoin I in know. him? <laughs> I'm
1: not kidding. Peter is probably the smartest person I've ever met.
0: Obviously, that's just really- None taken.
1: <laughs> After JJ. After JJ. I forgot to Wait qualify it. Wait a second. Now I'm JJ. getting my feelings.
0: <laughs> just great job, Allie. Part of the reason that we brought you on is you just have this incredible network of friends. So thanks for uh, giving us access to these incredible people that you know. But that was a wonderful, wonderful interview. Next week, we keep going. We're going to talk about workspace. We're actually going to talk about the physical space that you work in. Doesn't it matter. It matters a lot to this generation of professionals who are, by the way, doing awesome work coming up. Half my job is to make these guys happy because they're just so productive and they do such great work. So workspace is a big part of that. Can you work virtually? Should you work in one giant room? Should there be a living room? Should you have exercise equipment? All the basic stuff that I think is going to surprise you. We interview Brian Miles of Belay Solutions, who wrote a book called Virtual Culture, and also Jacob Morgan, who wrote a book called Employee Experience Advantage. And They have actually differing views, a lot in common, but differing views on the workplace. So if you've been wondering about what your workplace should be like, or if you're getting tired of your office, you're ready to move and try something new, this is going to be inspiring for you. Here's a little clip of my conversation with Jacob Morgan, one of next week's guests.
5: There are still some companies out there that are very big proponents of a specific work-life balance. In other words, you work nine to five, five o'clock, everybody goes home, don't check your email, don't check your phone, and you're just chilling out, relaxing with family, friends, doing whatever you wanna do. And that's fine because that works for those organizations. But the overall trend that we're starting to see is that that is becoming much harder to achieve. And instead what's happening is that you're bringing your life to work and you're bringing your work home with you to your life and nobody's keeping track of hours, just do what you need to do, get it done when you need to get it done by, but at the same time, go pick up your kids from school, go drop them off at soccer, go to a doctor's appointment, work in the evening, work in the morning, work whenever you want, and that is starting to become more of the standard that organizations are starting to embrace. So it's definitely this area of work-life integration instead of work-life balance as far as the broader trend goes.
0: All right, be sure to tune in next week to hear the entire conversation. I'm totally going to invest in Bitcoin with Betsy's help. We'll help you download the app tonight. Okay, and Peter has an app. Blockchain is... (laughs) It's
1: called Blockchain. Yep, available in the App Store.
0: Okay, I'll just download that one, and we'll do it that way. If you want to do it, let us know how you're doing. Well, I guess we're all doing the same. (laughs) We will know exactly how you're doing. Don't forget, my book, Building a Story Brand, is out now. You can learn about the entire Story Brand framework in the book. Just get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy books. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy and creating a clear message is the best way to buy Bitcoin.